Chevrolet. Chevrolet. I don't know. We're, that's not a commercial for Chevrolet. That's just a reminder of where we were at one point. Anybody ever, anybody in this place remember that commercial originally? You remember that in baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet? That means we're old, right? Right? 1975, 76, bicentennial year of our country. And so we're going to go through a little history today. We're not going to focus on baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, but we are going to focus on where, the, where we are in relationship to the Lord as a nation and as a people of God. We've been walking through the whole Old Testament the whole story of reality, and we're coming to Jeremiah today, and I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, where we're going to begin, and then Jeremiah 31. On page uh, 651 in that black pew Bible, or that black uh, chair Bible that's behind that seat, if you need a page number. So we'd, I'd encourage you to look there. I just want to, wanted to show that clip because... There was a day in our, our country when things were a little simpler. Would you agree? Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. No cell phones. Remember? You remember that day? And kids would actually play outside and all day long. And they'd eat watermelon and all sorts of stuff on the 4th of July. I don't know if you still do that. Things were just a little simpler along those lines, but things were a little more moral as well. As we think about celebrating as a citizen of this great nation, we know we are celebrating our independence from the tyranny of the, the motherland or the mother country, Britain, Great Britain, and King George III, and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But we know as citizens of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of God, that every day is a celebration of our freedom. As I prayed before, and as we remind ourselves that if the Son, Jesus Christ, has set you free, you will be free indeed, no matter whether you're living in a communist country or a free country like the one we live in and enjoy. There is no one telling us this day how we are to worship, how we are to serve. We don't have fear as we expand the kingdom of God in this place to this point. I don't know if that's always going to be the case. But at this time, it is. There is a, a guy, a conservative commentator named Cal Thomas. I used to listen to some on the radio. Maybe you've heard it. He wrote a book entitled Americans, America's Expiration Date. And it it is subtitled, the, the Fall of Empires and Superpowers and the Future of the United States. And he chronicles all the great empires and the fall and what caused them to fall. And it's a very revealing piece of literature, secular piece of literature. But Thomas is a man of faith, and, and he incorporates that faith in his, uh, his writing. But one of the things he chronicles there is that most Empires have a shelf life of 250 or so years. Now, folks, I don't know if you've done the math lately, but July 4, 1776, today is 245 years 
So that means five years. If America is typical, the shelf life, I don't, America is not typical. You know that. But it's something to think about as well. If there's not some spiritual renewal and spiritual revival, then we too could have an expiration date. Oof. My people, God said, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do we need healing? We do. And so as we look at this subject today of a a new declaration and how we deal with all of that from Jeremiah, uh, I want us to think about what that means for us and the connection it has for us today living in 2021 America. Remember, this is taking place in 605 B.C., the 7th century B.C., all all through 70 years or so into the, the, the 500s B.C., so a long time ago. 2,500 plus years ago. It's dealing with the nation of Israel and it's dealing with the exile of the people of God. God doesn't want necessarily to pay them back for their idolatry and their hypocrisy and their, their lack of faithfulness to Him. Instead, what He wants more than anything is to bring His people back. In order to do that, He sends them off into exile, the Babylonia. In the Babylon, under Babylonian rule, Nebuchadnezzar, remember we talked about him when we looked at, at Daniel in that study. That's the time frame as our Jeremiah writes in. And so as he writes this, we are looking at how God worked in his people's lives then so that we can see how we'd respond. To his word now. I want to begin this look not with necessarily the the scripture. We're getting there as quickly as we can, but I want to begin by just thinking about how we had our our beginnings. And I want to share some things from our founding fathers. George Washington said it would be impossible to govern rightly without God. And the Bible, he's our first president, of course. Our second one, John Adams, says it would be impossible to govern without God and the Ten Commandments. And then Leviticus 25.10 is on the Liberty Bell in Freedom Hall. It says, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Remember this great speech that a fellow by the name of Patrick Henry, a 39-year-old, fair-skinned, red-headed follower of Christ from Virginia gave to inspire those early revolutionaries. He says, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Talking about the tyranny of King George III. Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, Give me liberty or give me death. And from that inspiration, the whole process continued to declare our 
independence. Later on, President Dwight D. Eisenhower made this comment that I think is pertinent today. Without God, there can be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is first the most basic expression of Americanism. You remember good old Dwight D. Eisenhower, the campaign, I like Ike. Some of you remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. Wow, you really, you're older than me. He died the year I was born. So you think about that. That's the heritage we have. I can remember as a child, I was about seven in our bicentennial, 1976. And I can remember the great inspiration of the Olympics that year. You remember? There was a guy who I, is one of my early athletic heroes, who was the greatest athlete in the world. You remember Bruce Jenner, the decathlete? You remember that? I ate Wheaties because that picture right there was on that box of Wheaties. Anybody remember that box of Wheaties? Yeah, I know this is history for a lot of you children to listen up. You know, this is history. And so you need to know where we came from, what was going on there. Now, look, where you know that picture? That's the same guy or gal. I, I'm confused because he's confused. That's Caitlyn Jenner who's going to run for governor of California and probably win. Do you know things are different? Have you seen things are broken? We're sick. How do we get back? We're living in this land of exile like the children of Israel were, like the children of Judah were in the day of Jeremiah. And so I want you to see, now we come to that point where we, we look at the Scripture, which is our authority, and in chapter 29 of verse 10, in that context, this is what the Lord says. Jeremiah 29, 10. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, a lifetime. There was another prophet that said, oh, this is not going to last very long, just a couple of years. And he proved to be a false prophet because his prophecy didn't come true. That was the test of true prophecy, whether their prophecy came true. And Jeremiah's did. They were there 70 years, a lifetime. But then I'll come, the Lord says through Jeremiah as he writes this letter to the exile. But then I'll come and do for you all the good things I've promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes, and I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. 
Will you pray with me as we ask the Lord to do that for us as His children, as His people in this day? Father, we thank You for our heritage. And we thank You for great men and women of faith. We thank You that we were established as a nation in part not just for economic prosperity, but for religious freedom. And we thank you, Lord, to this point that has been maintained. And Lord, help us not take that for granted. And Lord, help us return. Help us return to a deep faith in you. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our nation and of our state and ask, Lord, generically but specifically as well, that you would help them know you, those who don't. And for those who do, it would help them take a stand and live according to your will and your way and your word. Oh, Father. We love this country. We love the freedoms we enjoy. But Father, we know there are things that are not right. Not right in your sight. Not right according to your will and your way and your word. So Father, we ask that you'd use us in this setting, in this small town, in this area of the world to be the people to be the citizens that you call us to be, not just of this great nation, but of the kingdom of God. We know, Lord, eventually there's going to be a passing of this nation, but there's never, ever going to be a passing, Lord, of the kingdom of God. So remind us, Lord, to focus, to be intentional about eternal things in these moments. Prepare our hearts. In your holy and precious name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm only human. I heard that this week. We are a nation of only humans. We can only do so much. That was spoken by a, a lady named Shikari Richardson, who is probably the fastest woman in the world, who I got to watch in Oregon just a few weeks ago. She says, I'm only human because she failed the drug test for marijuana and not going to get to compete in the Olympics for her country. There's a song back in 1986 that says, I'm only human of flesh and blood. I'm made human, born to make mistakes. And later, a Liberty Mutual commercial in 2012 re reinvigorated that and said, humans, we mean well, but we are imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world. I don't know about the beautifully part. We know that we are imperfect people. It's really part of our mantra as First Baptist Church. We, we know everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything is possible. We know we're not perfect, but I do not believe that we were, were created, as it says, born to make mistakes. God didn't create us to make mistakes. Even though we do, we fall, we fail. God created us in His image to strive toward perfection, to be more like Jesus and more and more like Him every day. And we need, obviously, 
his help and his power. Or it's an inside job as we think about that. And so the implications are, are found for what we need uh, to return to the Lord in Jeremiah 31 as he talks about the new covenant we have in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to turn there, if you would, in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. And we're going to go back to verse 29, and we're going to look at how to deal with this, this new declaration, this, this new day. And it really is a declaration not of independence, but of dependence on the Lord. So let's look at Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 29. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word? The people will no longer quote this proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes, but the children's mouths pucker at the taste. What was going on? These people were in exile, and they're saying it's the previous generation. It's our ancestors' fault. It's our mother's and our father's fault. We didn't do anything wrong. But here's what the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, verse 30. All people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone. From the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. What a good word. As you see, are seated, let's look at it a little closer and just look how to deal with the implications of this new declaration. First of all, I want you to see, uh, we got to realize our problem. we got a real problem. And so we've already documented some of that, but just to kind of drive that home, it, just so you, you know, Jeremiah says here, all people will die for their own sins. This is what Paul reiterates later on. The wages of sin is death, and this is what the... The writer of Revelation, John, who sees the revelation of God in, in Revelation 20, 14, says that they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That's serious business, is it not? When we think about what sin has caused and brought about, we know that Jesus had to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, and we praise God that he did. But when we think about sin, isn't that something somebody else does? Isn't that something somebody else struggles with? Not if we're honest. Not if we look at ourselves in the mirror on a regular basis. Not if we look ourselves in the, in the mirror of God's Word on a regular basis. And we know it's not just the, the sex offenders and the drug pushers and the, and the 
adulterers and the murderers that are sinners. It's all of us. It's the gossips. It's the gluttons. It's the greedy. It's the lazy. It's the apathetic. Have I hit you yet? Do you want me to keep going? As we think about who we are, we know. We're all in that boat. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we realize that's our problem. That was the problem of the people of Israel in that day. And that's the problem of the people of America in this day. Still there, aren't we? So what do we do? Just as the people of Israel were unfaithful to God as a uh, adulterous spouse or adulterous wife was unfaithful to her husband, we recognize, we confess to the Lord, hey, I know. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know what I've thought. And we cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Have grace on me. And that's where it begins by realizing our great need. The hardest thing for a preacher to do or the hardest people for anybody to reach, even your people in your oikos, is the people who already think they know the Lord and don't really know the Lord. The people who have not come to a realization that they need the Lord, that they need a Savior. They need Jesus. He's our only hope. So when we begin to think about how things are going to turn around, we come face to face with the reality of our corporate sins as Americans and our individual sins is really how that gets taken care of before the Lord. So would you make a list? Would you claim the blood of Jesus over that list? The scripture says if you confess your sins, you say the same thing God says about those sins, the same words God says about those sins. He is faithful and just. He's the one that's faithful. He's the one that's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. So that's where it begins. We realize our problem, but we also reclaim, or maybe for some of us, claim His promise. And there are many in this section that we looked at in Jeremiah 31. And so I want to, to just recall some of the ones from Jeremiah 29 as well as, as 31. From Jeremiah 29, we see He's going to bring us home. Oh, that's a, uh, one I want to claim for our nation, for ourselves He's got a future and a hope for us. He listens to our prayers. The scripture says that he hears us, whatever we ask when we pray according to his will in 1 John 5. So the, the key to answer prayer, and we know that a key to turning back to the Lord, of course, is praying. And I wonder, when was the last time you prayed for the president? Was it the previous administration? Or are you still praying? I think the next president needs it as much as the previous one did. And so we lift him up and we lift our, our leaders up and we ask, as I've asked already, that God would help them know him if they don't. And if they do, that he, he would help them follow him. Are you praying? 
as the people of God, that's where change happens. That's where the change in our culture happens. As we lift things up to the one who can and does and has changed things. He did it in your life. He's done it in many of your families. He will do it still and do it in the future as we seek him with our whole heart. So that's the promises from Jeremiah 29 that he's going to end our captivity and restore our futures and it will find God when we look for him wholeheartedly. But there are more promises in chapter 31 in verse 33a. It says he's going to make a new covenant with us. We know what that's about. You know, a covenant is that bond or that agreement between two parties. A biblical covenant is not an equal covenant. Between two equal parties, God is greater than we are. We know, and so as we think about the covenant we have with him, he's done all the work. What we do is we accept what he's done, and we live according to that. We live according to the agreement. We say, Lord, here we are. We give ourselves to you afresh and anew, and so we enter into that covenant with him. And here's what Jesus did right before he goes to the cross the night before, remember? As he established what we call the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my body which is broken for you and this is my blood which is shed for you for the new covenant. You see, that new agreement, that new covenant was ratified by the precious blood of Jesus. His stamp of approval was written in red. He says, I pour out my blood. I give my life. I lay down my life for you. Here's the covenant. Will you receive it? God's promise is that he's going to make a new covenant. This is... This is five, six hundred years before Jesus ever comes to earth through the prophet Jeremiah. And God is faithful to keep his word. That's what the, Joshua tells us in, at the end of, of his book. As, as we think about all that God has done, God always keeps his promises. He's true to what he says. He's true to his word. Now, are you? Am I? When we've entered into a relationship with him, a covenant relationship with him, what have we done? Haven't we given ourselves anew to make him our Savior and our Lord, our forgiver and our boss? So do you report each morning for duty and say, Lord, what do you want today? What do you what are you leading in today? Where are you working today? Where can I join you today, Lord? What do you want? That's the covenant. That's the promise. He says also, and I'll put my instructions deep within them in verse 33b. Write them on their hearts. What, what's that talking about? That new covenant. I, I'm convinced that's the Holy Spirit within us. He put the Holy Spirit deep within us because he knows we can't do this just by our sheer willpower. We can't live for him any more than the children of Israel could. We need help. We need 
hope we need? Him. And Jesus promised to leave another comforter, an advocate, he says, in John 16, one who would convict us of sin and God's righteousness in the coming judgment, one who would remind us of truth. But Jesus is the one who said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's the Holy Spirit that he's written on our hearts to show us how to live, how to love, how to be a part of the kingdom of God as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so we recognize that as a promise of God. We claim that or reclaim that as a promise of God. And he says in verse uh, 33, the, the last part, I will be their God and they will be my people. So as we think about all he's done, we trust that all he's done will begin in us a renewal, a restoration, a moving back as a people to the way he designed us to be and live in the first place. And Matt Chandler says it this way, what Christ has done on the cross is the linchpin in God's plan to restore creation. Is it any wonder that then that the empty tomb opened out into a garden? You recognize that the whole story of reality we've been talking about begins in this garden with Adam and Eve, this garden of Eden, this perfect place without sin. And, and this whole story of reality is going to end in a garden, a garden of heaven, the way things were intended to be in the first place, the way God restores things. And when you think of a garden, don't you think of, of life and flourishing and growth and all that God has in store for us? And the cross is that linchpin that connects us from garden the garden. And so we claim the promise of God, especially the promise of Jeremiah 31, 34, that he will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. Because on the cross, our wickedness and our sins were paid for. That's why Jesus declares, it's finished. It's done. Paid in full. So what do we do? How do we move toward that restoration? Here's the final thing I want you to see. Is we rest in our hope. We rest in our hope. You're struggling. Wherever it is you're struggling, there's promises for that. There's hope for that. It begins with the cross, but there's more. There's even more than that in the Word, in the Scripture that pertains to your situation. Are you struggling? Maybe some of you in this place struggling with loneliness. Would you hear the words from Deuteronomy 31, 6? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And just as he said in Jeremiah 31, 
one, he says here in these promises, I will or he will not leave you or forsake you. Wherever you go, if you're a believer, God goes with you. Wherever you move, some of you are newer in our community. God, believe it or not, is in this community too. We know that. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Maybe you're struggling with, with your family or providing for your family. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of your, yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever the need is, whether that be financial, whether that be physical, whether that be health-related, he supplies the needs that we have. I don't know if you've taken him up on that lately. If you've asked, because there are people in this place who can help in some regards, because that's what God has blessed all of us for. All the blessings that we have received are intended to pour out to be blessings for other people, not just to spend on our own selfish desires and luxuries and pleasures, but to help restore what's broken, what needs to be fixed. And I'm convinced that God allows nothing in our world, no poverty, no brokenness, no pain, no suffering, that he's not intending to redeem. And he does it often through his people and their generosity and their goodness. Are you struggling with some kind of emotional or or some kind of spiritual situation, some kind of fight. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will, that's the declaration. I will, he will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Maybe you're at a crossroads. You don't know what to do next. You need some direction and clarity. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Direct your paths. Tired? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. That's for you. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Maybe you're wondering if, if God can use you. If the master has a plan for you and what he's doing in your life. Philippians, again, 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Rest in our hope. Because our hope is and was and will always be in Jesus Christ. And when we think about what he's doing in our world, our hope is in him and him alone. And we can do all things. Through Christ who gives us strength. So I want to share with you the end of what the Declaration of Independence 
says. Thomas Jefferson, you know, our third president, said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You are familiar with this, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I wish he would have said the pursuit of God. I really do. Because I think true happiness only comes as we pursue the Lord wholeheartedly with all our hearts. And that the, the way that we have, as Americans, pursued happiness has gone askew, gone astray. But I love the document, the Declaration of Independence, especially how it ends. Because we're not as familiar with this. It says at the end of the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence, for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Could we join them? Could we ask that God bless America and God bless the USA as we seek him first and foremost? And would we pledge our lives to that? As we issue a time of invitation, I wonder, have you publicly given yourself your life to the Lord. I know most of you have. Many of you have. But some of you. We want to give the opportunity. To, for you to do that today. If you have never. Given yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Pledged your life to Jesus Christ. To serve him as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. But for the rest of us. Who live as citizens of. This country. And citizens of the kingdom of. Of heaven. Could we continue and remember that our call in all things is to bring glory to God? Seeking His plans for, for us as a nation and us individually. And to expand. To expand His kingdom. That's what those early founding fathers wanted to do, was it not? Always looking to expand. And that's what we're trying to do too, not for our glory, but for his. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this place on this day asking, Lord, that you and your power and your might work through us. Lord, those founding fathers were dependent upon your divine providence. We talk about our independence from Britain, but there's also a great dependence on you. Lord, help us to do the same. We don't come to this place today to worship our country. We come to this place today to worship you. And we ask, Lord, as we have asked for you to bless us 
as we surrender to you, as we seek you. In these moments, Lord, I pray. If there's anybody in this place who's never pledged their life to you, they do that. If there's anybody in this place who, who needs a church home and a family to uh, fulfill your plans, to strategically and intentionally fulfill the great commission that you've given us to expand your kingdom, to bring you glory, that you lead them. And as you do, give them courage to respond. Lord, all of us in this place, we think about this nation and where we're headed. Would it drive us to our knees to pray? Would we do what we can do in our spheres of influence to stand for you and to declare your goodness and to make sure that the people that you've given us know you're in charge. You have blessed us to be a blessing, that you have blessed us to further your work, your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray.